In the very first verse of this week's Parsha, Parshas Noach, we encounter a term that is ubiquitous in Jewish literature, but it's actually quite rare to appear in the Torah, and that is the term Tzadik. The very first verse in this week's Parsha, these are the children, the descendants of Noah. Noah was a man who was a Tzadik, who was righteous, and who was Tamu, who was perfect in his generations, and he walked with God. Noah here is labeled three different things. He's a ish, he's a man, which is a term of stature. He's a tzaddik, he's righteous, and he is tamim, which means he's perfect. And he was in his generation, and he walked with God. And this is the first of two times that Noah is labeled as a tzaddik in chapter 7, verse 1, when God tells Noah to go into the ark He tells him, come, you and your children, to the ark, because you I have seen as a tzaddik, as a righteous person, before me in this generation. Now, if you scour the rest of the Torah, you will not find anyone else who is labeled as a tzaddik. Not Abraham, not Moses, not Jacob, Isaac, Aaron, Joshua, only Noah. And it's kind of curious that Noah, the character that we meet right at the beginning of Genesis, who really isn't part of the lineage of the Jewish people... He's not the founder, the father, the patriarch of the Jewish people. Yet only Noah is labeled as a tzaddik. Now, no one suggests that Noah was more righteous than the great pillars of our religion and our people. Yet, for some reason, he is the only one that is given that title, that lofty title of being a tzaddik. Moreover, There's a very perplexing Rashi, and we mentioned this in the other podcast, that talks about how Noah, some of the rabbis view him positively and some view him negatively. Rashi tells us that he had imperfect faith. He believed, didn't fully believe. And it's kind of quizzical. It's kind of odd that someone who's labeled as a tzaddik, who's labeled as someone who's being righteous, the sages are able to poke all kinds of holes in his character and they say, well, he was righteous, but not so righteous. He had faith, but he didn't have so much faith. Yes, he's called a tzaddik, but you know what? Some of the rabbis are able to find something negative about him. And isn't that something which is curious? And I want to focus on today this idea where Noah is the only one called a tzaddik and no one else is given that, that title, that honorific. Now, in, in the Talmud, the term tzaddik appears everywhere. And it's a general catch-all term for righteous people, yet in the Torah it applies only to Noah, and that I think is something which warrants investigation. So the Midrash, in the Midrash Tanchuma, in the Sweet Parsha, the Midrash tells us that there is another individual in Scripture, not in the Torah, but in the book of Amos, Amos, there is another individual, namely Joseph, who is also labeled as a tzaddik. The verse is talking about the sale of Joseph. Joseph, of course, is going to be sold by his brothers, and it labels him as the sale of the tzaddik. So the Midrash tells us, you know, what could be the possible corollary, the possible overlap between Noah and Joseph. They don't seem to have much of a a storyline overlap. So the Midrash tells us that actually there was some commonality between Joseph and Noah. Why? Because both of them provided sustenance 
for the world. Of course, Noah's going to go into the ark, and he's going to be there with all the people that are around and all the animals that are around. And for the duration of their time in the ark, Noah is providing food and sustenance for the people and the creatures that are with him. Similarly, Joseph, there's a worldwide famine. And Joseph was the one who had the foresight, of course, he had the dreams, that's a story we'll read later on in Genesis, he had the foresight to stockpile all kinds of grain, and he provided food for the world in their time of need. So that's the potential answer that we see here in the Midrash, that yes, in in general Jewish lexicon, the term tzaddik means a righteous person, but maybe in the more narrow sense, it's applied by scripture as someone who sustains others, and therefore it's not appropriate to provide it to anyone besides for Noah and Joseph. Now, there's a fascinating Ramban who provides a different answer. The Ramban says as follows, why is it important for us to be told the character of Noah. We have the whole Noah story. The people are corrupt, but Noah's righteous. But the Torah seems to delineate, to list his character. He, he was a man. He was righteous. He was perfect. He walked with God. Why is it important to label him as such in this narrative? So he tells us, says the Ramban, that the reason why the Torah is listing his qualities, it's to inform us that he is worthy of being saved from the flood because he is not guilty. He is perfect, he's acting righteously, he's acting justly, and that's why he is surviving the flood. And the Ramban adds that the term tzaddik is someone who is acquitted in justice. And the term rasha, which is the opposite, which means wicked, is someone who is guilty in justice. So if you have a case of a judgment and the results show one person's guilty, one person's innocent, the innocent one is labeled as a tzaddik and the guilty one is labeled as the rasha. And he lists three verses in scripture that apply the term tzaddik and rasha, righteous and wicked, specifically to the case of judgment. And therefore, the Ramban would give a different answer to our question. The Ramban would say that the reason why Noah specifically is called a tzaddik is because here the world was in judgment. Who is worthy, who is righteous to survive the flood? And Noah was the one who was found innocent. He was exculpated by God, and that's why he was able to survive. And thus, in Scripture, the term tzaddik is applied specifically in an, in an instance of judgment. And the Rabban brings three verses to support that. If I may add another time where scripture applies the term tzaddik in judgment, in the episode of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham is trying to intervene and try to save the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah that are condemned by God. And he says, God, well, are you going to kill the tzaddik together with the rasha? Are you going to kill the righteous together with the wicked? And he starts listing, maybe there's 50 tzaddikim, there's 50 people who are called a tzaddik, maybe 40, maybe 30, maybe 20. And with the story, of course, we'll read in a few weeks. So again, we see the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were judged. And Abraham is applying the term tzaddik to someone who should be exculpated in judgment. In addition, the Talmud tells us in the book of Rosh Hashanah, page 16b, that on Rosh Hashanah, there's three books that are opened. One book for those who are completely Rishaim, Rasha wicked, one for completely Tzadikim, Tzadik righteous, and one for people who are Benarim, who people who are in the middle. 
And the tzaddikim, the people who are righteous, are right away signed for life. The people that are wicked are right away signed for dead. And the people that are the banerim, the people that are in between, well, then they are in limbo until Yom Kippur. So again, that's another example where the term tzaddik and rasha are applied specifically in the realm, in a context of judgment. So according to the Ramban, the answer as to why Abraham or Moses or other people like that are not called a tzaddik, the answer would be is that the term tzaddik, in in this context at least, it refers to being acquitted, to being exculpated, to being found not guilty. It's not necessarily a description of the greatest person someone could possibly be. It's not much of an accomplishment. Yes, it is an accomplishment, certainly relative to your peers, no was judged. He was found not guilty. And thus, in that context, he is called a tzaddik. I want to elaborate upon this idea. I want to examine a selection of sources regarding this widely used term, the term tzaddik, to understand its nature, why it refers to someone who is not guilty. Why is it limited, so to speak, to the, to the realm of, of judgment and maybe to shed more light on why it's not necessarily the greatest compliment in the world. It is a compliment, but in a more narrow sense, like the Ramban says. So first of all, it's important to stress that the Talmud, when the Talmud talks about our responsibility in life, the term that it uses for someone who succeeds in their journey is tzaddik versus someone who fails is rasha. So for example, the Talmud, Book of Nida, page 16b, it tells us, that when someone is about to be conceived, the Almighty decides a lot of things that are going to dominate this person's life are predetermined before conception. So the way the Talmud illustrates that, that there's an angel, and the angel takes a drop of biological matter that is destined to be this person and takes this drop and says to God, What's going to be with this drop? Will this person that will eventually emerge from this primordial biological matter, will this person be strong or weak physically? Will they be wise or foolish intellectually? Will they be wealthy or poor financially? But it does not ask, there's one question that this angel does not ask and God does not predetermine, that is, will it be a tzaddik or a rasha? This statement is in accordance with Rav Chanin, who says, all is in the hands of heaven, aside from fear of heaven. There are a lot of things in our life that are predetermined. We can't choose much of the circumstances of our life. However, what is in our hands is the ability to choose one of these two outcomes in this very binary formulation. We could be a tzaddik, we could be righteous, or we could be Wicked. This is what's included in the term fear of heaven. This is in our hands, and thus we cannot blame God for our own righteousness or wickedness. So that's the first source. There's another source which says the same idea, but gives it a little bit more of an architecture, of a structure as to what this actually does. The Talmud, again, from the book of Nida, the same book that the previous source is from, this time from 30b, the subject matter of that particular page of Talmud is what happens to a child in utero and what happens to a child as a child is about to be born. But it tells us that right before a child is born, the child is informed what they must accomplish. And the way the Talmud illustrates it, that the that they give an oath, they administer an oath to the child as they're about to be born. What's the what's the text of this oath? Tehei tzaddik, be a tzaddik, 
be a righteous person. And don't be a Russia. Don't be a wicked person. And even if the whole world tells you you are a tzaddik, you must nevertheless consider yourself to be a Russia. And then it adds, you must know that the Holy One, blessed is He, God, is pure. His angels are pure, and the soul that He placed within you is pure. If you safeguard its purity, if you maintain the purity of your soul, good. But if not, behold, I will take it from you. So here, beyond this, again, binary formulation, be it tzaddik, don't be a rasha, we're also given a little bit of context to this mandate. The soul, we're told, is holy. How holy? Very holy. As holy as God, as holy as the angels on the same pedestal. You must know. Again, this is the, this is the text of the, of, of the Talmud and the Talmud's account of what happens to the child before the child's born. You must know that the Holy One, blessed is pure, his angels are pure, and the soul that he placed within you is pure. However, you could lose that purity. And therefore, if you safeguard its purity, fantastic. But if not, behold, I will take it from you. So again, we see that this term tzaddik applies to the most basic responsibility that we have, be a tzaddik, don't be a rasha. But also we see that it may relate to the purity of the soul. And I want to add maybe another selection of sources that seem to apply the term tzaddik with respect to eligibility for olam haba. Of course, we believe after someone dies, there is the afterlife. However, what happens to someone in the afterlife, the conditions, the situation of what happens to them post-mortem after they die, hinges upon how they live their life. We believe that the, the end game, the end goal, the desire of your soul is to end up in a place called Olam Haba, is to end up in the afterlife, in the next world, in the world of reward for the righteous. It's interesting. The Talmud in many places applies the term tzaddik to someone who is invited, who is eligible for Olam Haba. For example, in the book of Yavamos, page 47, it says that when someone wants to convert or someone's considering converting, then they're given a lot of information. And one of the pieces of information that they're told is that you should know that Olam Haba, that this venue of reward, this paradise is only made for tzaddikim. I guess the idea behind that is a person shouldn't think that when they become Jewish, when they're converted, they right away get a ticket, rubber stamp to Olam Ba. No, you have to earn it. You have to be a tzaddik. I guess that would be the context. But moreover, there's a very famous citation in the Talmud that all of Israel, all the Jewish people, they merit a ticket to Olam Ba. Why? It quotes a verse, because they are all tzaddikim. They're all considered a tzaddik, and therefore they all get a portion, a place in Olam Ba. Finally, the Talmud, the book of Brachos, page 17a, describes what are the differences between this world, Olam Hazed, this world, and Olam Abba. And it says, this world is dissimilar to Olam Abba. In Olam Abba, there's no eating, there's no drinking, there's no procreation, there's no commerce, there's no envy, there's no hatred, there's no competition. So what is there? It's only tzaddikim sitting with their crowns on their heads and enjoying the radiance of God. So again, we find out that it's not like this world, but what is it? It's tzaddikim. Again, that same term, tzaddik, is applied to someone who gets olam haba. 
So what is the common denominator between all these sources? And maybe we could suggest an approach as follows. The soul that we have, it's supremely holy. The Talmud says it's on the same level or at least in the same conversation as the holiness of God himself and the angels. The soul's really supremely, superlatively holy. But it's thrust into a world, into our world, where its holiness is imperiled, where its holiness is in question, where its holiness can become corrupted, can become tainted, can become sullied with sin. And therefore, it's very important, it's imperative, before a child's born, that he is urged, that he is warned to make sure that the soul that he's harboring within him does not get corrupted. And he's told, be a tzaddik, be righteous, don't be wicked. And then he's explained, what does that mean? You should recognize, don't forget that God is pure, the angels are pure, and your soul is pure too. However, the purity of your soul is subject to change. As a result of your behavior, you can choose two paths. One path that would maintain and preserve the holiness of your soul, and the other path would sadly allow your soul's purity to become corroded, to become eroded, to become tainted, to become sullied, to become tarnished. And therefore, if you safeguard its purity, good. If not, behold, I will take it from you. Maybe we can suggest, what does it mean to be a tzaddik? What is the architecture of a tzaddik versus the rasha? A tzaddik is someone who preserves the purity of their soul. The soul arrives to this world pure. If someone does a sin, a sin by definition is an encroachment, an infiltration of what's called the Yetzirah, of the evil inclination, into the soul. It becomes corrupted. It becomes sullied. It becomes diminished in its spiritual purity. And our job, of course, is to maintain the purity of the soul. It arrived pure. Let's make sure that we deliver back to God also pure. It's almost as if we could say that a tzaddik is someone who puts their soul in a holding pattern in this world, who safeguards it from any encroachments, who makes sure that it does not get sullied, who just keeps it the way it is. If your soul leaves this world in the same condition, or close enough, shall we say, to the same condition that it was when it entered this world, if you fended off any incursions on your soul and made sure that you swatted away all its threats, your soul is in the same condition that it was when you entered this world. That is what considers you a tzaddik. How does that play out? Says the Talmud, Book of Brachos, page 18a. It tells us a very puzzling pronouncement regarding the tzaddik and the rasha. It says that tzaddik is deemed alive even when they're dead, the Russia is deemed dead even when they're alive. Obviously, this sounds self-contradictory. If we acknowledge someone is alive, then how can we say they're dead? And if we acknowledge someone is dead, how can we deem them alive? What does it mean that Sadiqim are deemed alive even when they're dead, and the Russia is deemed dead even when they're alive? The answer is that this is not referring to the life and or death of the body, but the life and death of their respective souls. Everyone arrives to this world with a pure soul. The soul is alive. As a result of your behavior, the soul can maintain its purity, can 
preserve and uphold its purity, and your soul is still alive. Whereas if your soul gets sullied deeper and deeper into the sea of sin, then even though you are alive, your body is alive, but you're harboring a dead soul within you. The Rasha is someone who did not obey the pre-birth oath administered to the child before he's born. He did not preserve and maintain the holiness of his soul, and consequently, he's alive, but he's truly deemed dead because he's a Rasha and his soul is dead within him. Whereas the righteous, the righteous are the people that did uphold this pre-birth oath. They did maintain the purity of their soul. And even after they are dead, they are deemed alive because they have not allowed their soul to become corrupted. And therefore, yes, they're dead. Their body dies. But you know what? Their soul lives on. And therefore, post-mortem, their body is dead. They're still considered alive because their soul is still alive, because they're a tzaddik after all. They maintained the soul's purity, did not allow the conditions for its demise to happen as a result of sin. That's what a tzaddik means. A tzaddik means someone who is upstanding. In fact, in Hebrew, there's a word that's very similar to tzaddik, which means righteous, and that is the word tzaddik, which means upright or, or straight, just like we have that Ramban that compares the term tzaddik to someone who is righteous in judgment. A tzaddik is someone who is personally vindicated. They were given a mission. Your mission was don't corrupt your soul, even a place where there's so many factors that could lead to your soul becoming sullied. Someone who's a tzaddik is someone who executed their responsibilities, someone who did their job, someone who fulfilled their duties, did everything that was asked of them, You had a pure soul, don't lose that purity of that soul. However, this is the key point. There is something much more powerful than merely preserving the status quo. A tzaddik is someone who is given a holy soul and returns a holy soul back to God. However, the fact that we are given something so powerful and so dynamic, something as holy as God, or at least on the same level, according to the Talmud here, it's as pure as God. There's something that we have within us. We have a nuclear bomb within us, the good kind. We have nuclear power within us that could change everything. Yes, someone who's sadic is someone who didn't mess up. If there's judgment... You are found to be innocent. You know what? We cannot blame you because you did nothing wrong. But what kind of power is inherent in someone that has something so holy within them? Something that's compared to the angels. Angels walking around us? How could you not change the world as a result? Maybe we could suggest that our national mandate is much more than just being a tzaddik. A tzaddik is too rudimentary. Our national responsibility is not just to preserve, to just put our soul into a holding pattern, to just make sure that we don't lose the holiness that's within us. Our mandate is to fundamentally transform the world in which we are placed. The Rahman tells us that Noah, Noah, he was, after all, he was acquitted in judgment. You couldn't blame Noah. But we know that our sages still find criticism within him. He wasn't quite like Abraham. He wasn't quite like Moses. Moses wasn't just, he didn't suffice with saying, I'm not going to mess up myself. He changed the world. Abraham, he wasn't just enough to say, you know what, I'm righteous, I'm good. He spread the message. He changed the world around him. Our sages tell us that all of us, we have a portion in Olam You know why? Because if you were given a soul, 
and the soul comes from the upper realms, the heavenly realms, and you bring it down to this world, and it doesn't get corrupted, you maintain your status as a tzaddik, your soul is still holy, you know what? It will be welcomed back to Olam Abba. You fulfilled your mission. That's the default of the Jewish people. Our sages tell us every Jew has a portion of world to come, because every Jew is a tzaddik. What's expected of us is much more than that. That's not considered a very high level, a very high bar. Let's just make sure we have a ticket to Omba. Let's stamp our ticket. Let's not mess things up. We have Abraham. We'll read about him at the end of this week's parsha. But of course, the rest of the Torah is going to be focusing on Abraham and his children. What do we find with Abraham? He's told by God, go to Israel. And he takes his whole family. Who does he take with him? His wife, his brother-in-law. Ve'hanefesh asher asu becharon and the souls that he made in Haran. Abraham was someone that didn't just say, I'm happy with my soul. Let me keep my soul holy. He made other souls. What did he turn into souls? He took people who were living mundane lives. He took bodies and transformed them into holiness. He transformed the mundane into the spiritual. Yes, Noah is a great hero. Noah was someone who was found to be not guilty, but he's still not quite Abraham. And therefore, to tell us that Abraham was a tzaddik, that would be underselling his greatness. There is a famous book, of course, of, of Jewish ethics, of Musar, written by Ramchal, Ramoshchaim Lutzato. It's called Mesil Asishom, The Path of the Just, The Way of the Upright. Every translation has a different translation for the actual title. And the way it's broken down into, it's broken down into chapters, of course, but there's three general sections. The first section, he tells us, in chapter 13, the first section was the guidelines to be a tzaddik. However, the next, the middle section, is the guidelines to be a chassid, to be a pious one. The righteous, the tzaddik, that's the first step. The next step is to be a chassid, to be someone who is living not just in a way that their soul is not being encroached upon, it's not being injured, it's not being damaged by the world around us, but the soul is actually exhibiting itself in the person's life. And then after that, there's even a higher level, a kadosh, someone who is holy, someone who is, whose holiness is so pervasive that they've actually altered the kind of person that they are. That's even a higher level. There's, again, more sources to this idea. For example, the Talmud, the book of Titus, page 15a, tells us that there is joy for the tzaddik and light for the yashar, for the straight. And the commentaries note that really there's four levels. There's the yashar, someone who's straight, someone who we would call to be moral, to be just. And there's a high level called a tzaddik, someone who's ensuring and perpetuating the wholeness of their soul. And then there's a high level of the chassid, and there's the high level of the kadosh of the Holy One. Of course, we have a lot to learn from Noah. Think about it. There's a whole world full of sinners. And there's one person who's a tzaddik. There's one person whose soul has not been corrupted. If we were called by God a tzaddik, if we were labeled by the Torah as a tzaddik, we'd be in pretty good shape. But I think there's another level that we could reach. Our nation we're the nation of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. We've had people like Moses, like Aaron. And throughout the generations, there's, there's been tremendous leaders and visionaries and people who could emulate and people that said we're not sufficing. We're becoming a tzaddik. We want to really fundamentally change the world. Abraham started it. Abraham arrived in a world that was really 
not dissimilar from the world in which Noah arrived. And he did not suffice with saying, let me make sure that I'm safe. Let me make sure that I'm exculpated, acquitted in judgment. He was much more than being a tzaddik, and he paved the way for us to show us that there's many more levels that we can unlock. Of course, the basic mandate that we have, the basic responsibility is given to every person, be a tzaddik, don't corrupt the soul that we got. But there's even more for us to strive for, and may we all be fortunate to become tzaddikim, to become righteous, to become someone who we can return our soul back to God and say, you know what, you gave me a pure soul, I'm returning a soul that has not been sullied by sin. And maybe we can also continue the legacy of Abraham, complete the mission of Abraham, to actually fundamentally alter the world, to be following Abraham's footstep of creating other souls, not just maintaining our own soul, really changing the world. Am I doing that? We'll complete what Abraham began. And that world, the world that's been perfected by Torah, that's the world that we call Messiah. May we be so fortunate to witness that day. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Rabbi Yaakov Wolby. This is the Parsha Podcast. My email address is rabbiwolbe.gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you.